Sappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. I know we're all doing well. I know we're all feeling great. The Milwaukee Bucks are Eastern Conference champions. We will talk about Game 6. Talk a little bit about Bucks Suns. I want to leave that if Mitch and I get on the mics tonight. I think we plan on it. Um, so I don't want to do too much on Bucks Suns. We'll also check in with the Brewers. We'll check in with... If there's anything notable we're going to get from the match uh, that Aaron Rodgers is playing in on Tuesday afternoon, evening. So yeah, all of that right now, and let's get into it. So the Milwaukee Bucks did it. They won in six. Bucks in six lived out its destiny. That Bucks in six was going to be the final endgame. So the Milwaukee Bucks are in the NBA Finals for the first time since 1974. The Milwaukee Bucks are in the finals with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Giannis is in a finals earlier than Michael Jordan. He is year 26. And I think back to after the Bucks had lost to the Toronto Raptors. So this was two years ago. I was in, on vacation in... Tahoe. I went out to California for a wedding and then we went to Tahoe. And so I'm flying back and I remember listening to Bill Simmons. Uh, you know, as I've mentioned many times on the show, guy's my mentor. And he doesn't know he's my mentor, but he's a guy I look up to and really revere. So I always listen to what he has to say, even if he kind of can be a hater about the Bucks every now and again. So Bill was talking at that point about how like you got to think about the next steps and all this other stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, Giannis is really young. Like all of these guys have went through growing pains. Durant, LeBron, like they've all went through it. LeBron had that one year in 2020 when he was 22 uh, in 2007. But in a lot of ways, when it, it builds up, Giannis is right on cue. He's right on target. Shaq. I think had something similar if you go through the years of Shaq. When Shaq really started being dominant, it wasn't, 95 is again, kind of like that LeBron blip, right? It was one year and it was the year without Jordan. And then it took Shaq a while to sort of rein it in and get all the way back. So it, it's really interesting, right? It's really interesting to sort of see this kind of play out. And I know Giannis didn't play, so you guys are like, Charlie, why is, why is this all about Giannis, by the way? The Los Angeles, Shaq was 28 when the Lakers got to the finals for the first time. He was 23, or 22, excuse, or no, yeah, 23 when they got there his first time. But again, that's kind of like that LeBron blip we were mentioning. But I'm sure you guys are like, Charlie, Giannis didn't play these last two games. Why are you talking about Giannis? It, it, all, it, all, it all starts with Giannis, right? Like, we'll talk about the game itself. But it all starts with Giannis. It all matters because we are so obsessed with legacies. We are so obsessed with just sort of where the trajectory of a star is going. Now, there will be some that might say, well, the Bucks were able to do this without Giannis. How, how is this possible? Why are the Bucks better without Giannis? That is a ridiculous comment. But I know a lot of people will do it because, look, it drives clicks. It drives listens. It drives engagement. Everybody will try to find an angle, and that will be a common zag. It isn't that they played better without Giannis. The thing was is Atlanta wasn't able to pack the paint. 
because you were able to put Brooke Lopez out on the three-point line if you needed to. You were able to put Bobby Portis out there if need be. You you could kind of flow these guys in and out. And Brooke Lopez was too big for Clint Capella. Bobby Portis was too big for John Collins. Both Portis and Lopez were too big for John Collins. Uh, Portis was too fast for Clint Capella. It was a bad matchup for Atlanta's bigs. And why I felt so confident about Game 6, if you listen to the Friday podcast I did, is I felt like they had figured out Atlanta. And even if Giannis had come back, I still think they would have figured out Atlanta. I still think they would have made it work. And I know people like to shit on Bud, but we keep seeing this in the playoffs where it starts kind of slow for Milwaukee, and then Mike Budenholzer kind of figures out what he needs to do with this team. Like, it, you saw this against Brooklyn, right? You saw the slowdown approach with Brooklyn in Game 3 that sort of started to work. And you can say, well, Milwaukee missed so many shots, Brooklyn missed so many shots, doesn't matter. And then in Game 6, you just saw the Bucks kind of adjust what happened, pick themselves up, and go to work. And the Bucks brought in that small ball lineup that was really good. Then in this one, they kind of were able to avoid packing the paint, and they switched everything on defense the last two two games. So it seems like Mike Budenholzer needs a game or two to sort of really figure out what he's going to do with you know the opposition. And maybe now, because he has a little more time to kind of prep, that maybe they'll be ready to go with some things and be able to watch tape and understand. Because the kind of the good thing about the two games against Phoenix this year for the Bucks is that they played them full strength in both of those games. So I don't think that this is like an indication of Giannis that they were able to win without him. It just shows how good of a team the Bucks were and how people were discrediting the Bucks all season. People acting like Chris Middleton isn't a top 20 player. People acting like Drew Holiday isn't a top 25 player. Like People just slept on these guys. And I've said this about Chris Middleton and I'll say it again. He's not a sexy player. He's not a guy that you're going to just look at and they're mixtapes and people are doing, you know, highlight reels for. He's just not that player. But when he's on the court, he gives you buckets. Chris Middleton, to transition to him, Chris Middleton closed out the Hawks again. Chris Middleton went on absolute fire in the third quarter with 23 third quarter points. He was out of his mind. It was so crazy. And I'm at the Brown House, of course. 9-0 by the Brown House, by the way. And I, I got to say, it was kind of unfortunate. It was it was good and bad. I don't know really how to feel about it. I'll ask Mitch what he thinks uh, maybe tomorrow. But I was, I was at the far end. So I was close to the Deer District. I was in an earshot of the, ear, the Deer District. And I, their TV was ahead of us by just a little bit. So I heard the fans going nuts, and then I knew like something good was going to happen. Not on everyone, but on most threes. And so when Middleton was just on fire, that crowd was honestly just, it was electric, right? It was so loud. It was so hyphy. And so I was like, all right, another big play coming. And like, it didn't exactly ruin it for me. And in a weird way, it gave me like comfort because I was like, all right, we're, we're okay. We're going to... Get a bucket here. We're going to start pulling away. And Chris Middleton led sort of the three-point regression to come to life. Like the three, all of a sudden, 
The Bucks were making everything from deep. They were finding themselves in, in a really good spot in that three-point area. They finished seven, 17 for 45, one of their better three-point shooting nights. And a lot of that was led by Middleton, and he is a closer. And that is who Chris Middleton is. I mean, yes, he had seven turnovers in the game, but I don't think any of us will remember the seven turnovers. The Bucks were extremely sloppy early on in this game and definitely something we saw without Giannis where the Bucks would turn the ball over a lot and we saw that with Holiday and Middleton but we're not going to talk that too negatively about a game six clinching win but Chris Middleton had so much to do with it he just found the rhythm and he got going and when Chris is hot like it's like look out and we've seen it now what we saw it against Brooklyn uh, in Game 6. We kind of saw it in Game 7 too. We saw it in Game 3 against the Hawks. And now we saw it again in Game 6. This is now four games. This isn't just a, you know, sort of a blip, right? This is Chris Middleton. This is who Chris Middleton is. Chris Middleton is a closer. Chris Middleton can wear you down and drag you out. And he's a tough matchup. And I know at Phoenix is going to throw Mikael Bridges on him. I know they're going to maybe throw Devin Booker on him. I don't think that'll be a good matchup at all. I think Devin Booker will get worked. They'll probably try to hide Devin Booker on P.J. Tucker, for being honest. That'll probably be what they'll do. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a game. It's going to be a series. And you're going to have Chris Middleton continue to sort of build his own legacy. Because I think there are so many people who are waking up to Chris Middleton is a top 20 player. And he deserves to be treated like one. Because he's, he's great, man. And he was great in this game. Drew Holiday, also really good. I know I mentioned the turnovers, but the guy nearly had a triple-double in a closeout game. He had 27 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. He also had 4 steals. He had 2 blocks. I mean, that's a fucking awesome stat line for Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday had a lot to do with the Bucks' success in this game. So even though Middleton was the catalyst, I would say Drew played a great supporting role um, and had had some major moments in that basketball game. So credit to Drew. Uh, Drew came through when it mattered. Um, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of wondering, you know, did Drew have like this Bledsoe disease? Is there a Bledsoe curse? But he finished, he finished the last two games, the last two, two games with some big moments. I mean, he finished 25, he had 25 and 13 and six in the game five win. And then he had 27, nine and nine. So in the last two games for Holiday, he has went 20 for 43, so shot about 50%. He's made 7 of 23s. Not exactly great, but actually, that's that's good percentage. That's that, we can we can deal with that. And he scored an average of 26 points and pulled down, you know, a good amount of rebounds, averaging 11 assists. Like that is what you needed from Drew Holiday. So anything negative that I think people will want to say about Drew Holiday, and Drew Holiday's name is going to get brought up a lot because of the Chris Paul thing. Um, and I think Drew's going to have a really big series, actually, because of Chris Paul. But again, I, I want to talk about it with Mitch. Like, I, I know that you guys are like, wow, you're, you're holding off. And it's like, I'm not. I just want to, I think Mitch and I will have a really good discussion tonight about sort of these these two guys and and ever and the whole the whole series. So that's why I'm trying to hold it in. But I do think Drew's going to have a really big series, and I think a lot of the struggles that he had are going to be sort of washed away. Also, credit where credits due, man. The Bucks bench was really good in this game. 
Pat Connaughton had 13 points. He also had eight rebounds. I didn't realize he had eight rebounds. He made three threes. Jeff Teague, 11 points. I can't believe Jeff Teague had fucking 11 points. He had 11 points, one assist, and four fouls in 12 minutes. I mean, Jeff Teague. I mean, I talked about it on Friday, and I said, just look, there's something special going on. And if you're not picking up on it, I'm sorry, but... If you're having Jeff Teague scoring 11 in a closeout game, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what what you should think if you're seeing Jeff Teague with 11 out there. And yeah, big big night for the Bucks bench. I think it's one of the bigger bench scoring efforts from Milwaukee uh, that we've seen all playoffs. So love to hear, love to see that. Uh, also another good rebounding game for PJ Tucker, eight boards there. And now we move on to Phoenix. And for Anything that I've heard, people I've talked to, I think I mentioned this on Friday's show, Giannis is going to play in game one. We're going to have Giannis in game one. We're going to have a hell of a matchup between Giannis, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. This is a great series. These two teams fought down down to the wire uh, in both games. The Bucks should have won the first game. They had like a 20-point lead in the third quarter, and then they kind of fell apart. And then against Phoenix, the second time around, it, the Bucks sort of let Phoenix sort of dictate the game. Um, it was one of those weird Bucks games, and then they kind of found it in the second half, caught a little fire, couldn't close it out. Um, Phoenix then takes it to overtime. There was a bad officiating call on a Booker foul um, that really cost the Bucks the game. And I have a, a snow tap review of that where uh, I was less than thrilled about uh, the Bucks Phoenix, the Buck, the Milwaukee Phoenix matchup. It's always where we're going to go, Bucks, Phoenix, yeah, you know, never mind, podcast stuff, you wouldn't get it, but yeah, it's it's awesome, man, I mean, everybody now is a Bucks fan, and you could say, I hate that everybody's on the bandwagon, and if you're one of those people, I'm going to tell you something right now, fuck off, all right, like, I learned from my good friend Eric a little while ago, a long time ago, actually, I think I, we were in college, and I talked about how I hated, like, pink hat. Brewer fans at that time, and uh, and how they would people would just get on the bandwagon for the Milwaukee Brewers. This was right around 2011. I was like, okay, everybody's now suddenly a Brewers fan. Like no one had been a Brewers fan since then. And I and Eric was like, no, this is a good thing. This drives revenue. This drives attention. Like this is all a good thing. And he's at he was absolutely right because the Brewers became a staple of so many people's lives in the next decade and i think the brewers have such a revered sense of community here in milwaukee that i think milwaukee the bucks are getting to and i think this is only going to help people become bucks fans and people who care i mean my dad who's 66 is talking to me about like different things and he's not an nba guy at all but he's talking to me about all the different things in the game and he's talking to me about holiday or talking to me about middleton or pj tucker like he barely watched any games and like i don't care that he is not an expert and i'm like yeah dad like we knew about this like uh, mitch had a text to me like he's like i had to tell my dad to calm down at one point <laughs> you know like everybody is on board and that's the beautiful thing okay it is beautiful we want everybody on the bandwagon. I don't care that people are just learning about the Milwaukee Bucks. It doesn't matter. And, and, and the one thing that's great, and, and what I think because of 2011, 
in, in, for the Brewers. I think in 2011, you had young kids who were eight or nine years old latch on to that Brewers team, and now they're 18, 19, and they still love the Brewers. And Brewer baseball is very important to them. Those same nine to eight to nine year olds now who are watching the Bucks and becoming massive Giannis fans, and Chris Middleton and Drew, they now get to grow up with the Bucks. And they need to. Grow, they get to grow up with Giannis, and they then can have Bucks fandom for the rest of their life. So, I we can bitch all we want about people who haven't been real Bucks fans, or there were only a few people talking about the Bucks. I've admitted as such that I was not the biggest Bucks fan at certain points in my life because they bummed me out. They were they were just a rudderless ship, and. There are some who've stuck with them through thick and thin. And to, to those who've done that, God bless you. You are you are a special, special type of person. But it's it's hard, man. It's hard to do that when you see failure left and right. A lot of people had that with the Brewers, man. There, I'm sure the generation before us, the Gen Z, or I'm sorry, the Gen X, would tell you the Brewers were the same thing. People don't talk about Bud Selig running this thing into the ground and letting his daughter take over, who is an absolute shit show of an owner and would have got absolutely crucified in today's social media. And thankfully, Mark Ananasio came in and saved things. And Herb Cole, I know a lot of people want to say, oh, Herb Cole kept the bucks, Herb Cole kept the bucks. Yeah, he kept the bucks, but he turned people off of basketball. People were turned off of basketball because Herb Cole was all about making money and getting the eight seat. So we can tell, we can thank Herb Cole, right? We can thank Herb Cole for getting the Milwaukee Bucks to this point and making sure the Milwaukee Bucks stay in Milwaukee. But the fact of the matter is, is it didn't change until John Hammond drafted a kid from Greece who no one knew about, who watched his second league Greece tapes and drafted him in the at the 15th spot. And I weirdly remember I was at Summerfest. And Eric, who I just mentioned, second mentioned. I go, who do the Bucks draft? Uh, they drafted that Grease kid. And we all were trying to pronounce his name. We all didn't know how to pronounce his name. And that's when they drafted Giannis. And I, I remember that vividly. I'll remember, you know, the start of Giannis. And Giannis and Jabari and all of this. So if you just started being a Bucks fan this year, welcome. If you've been a Bucks fan for 30 years, I'm so happy for you. And for all the rest of it, it's great. And I look forward to talking about it. We'll be doing as many podcasts as we can throughout the next few weeks. We'll ride this thing out. And I'm hoping, just hoping, this ends in a cha- the first championship for Milwaukee since 1971. All right, let's talk about a few other things before we ride out of here for today. The Milwaukee Brewers just keep winning. I know they lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates on Sunday, but the Brewers are a fucking wagon. They are now 17 games over 500. Um, they're 51 and 34. I think they have a run differential of 47. They have established themselves as one of the best teams in baseball. I remember, I think last week, we had had that conversation of, where do the Brewers sit in terms of the best teams in baseball? And now I think the Brewers have sort of established themselves as the team. They are 
two back right now of the San Francisco Giants for the best record in the National League, which would be huge. Um, because if the playoffs started today, uh, you would have the Milwaukee Brewers playing the New York Mets. So that's the matchup we're going to have tonight, uh, Mets-Brewers, um, which starts this evening. Why we don't have any day games today when most people have off is absurd. But that's here nor there. Um and so the Brewers will likely avoid the Dodgers or the Padres. That's to me is the kind of the wild thing right now. If you look at the NL standings, the Dodger, the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres have the three of the four best records in baseball. And I think everybody in LA and San Diego is waiting for the Dodgers to kind of go away, or I'm sorry, waiting for the Giants to go away. And they just won't. The Giants just won't go away. They, did, they won't. I mean, and, and it's not a fluke. I mean, their run differential is 106. It's one of the best run differentials in baseball. It's only behind the Astros at 131 and the Dodgers at 121 for the best in baseball. So it looks like we really could have, which will be a lot of hand-wringing, looks like we really could have Dodgers-Padres as the wild card game for the right to play the Giants. And, and I, I mean, that's wild, right? And then the Brewers kind of get a break. Now, a lot can change in baseball, right? Like we saw the, the Washington Nationals in 2019 rise from the ashes and become a juggernaut overnight and end up breaking through. But it's going to be really hard for a team to win a wild card spot with how well the Padres, Dodgers, Dodgers and Giants are playing. So Brewers are kind of in the catbird seat. And they're feeling good. And we said, but, but kind of right around mid-May, if you remember, I had said on this show, I said, look, they have a really easy schedule coming up. And by July 4th, they should be in a really good spot. And if they're not in a good, good spot in July 4th, we should have some questions for them. Well, guess what? I have no further questions, Your Honor. Milwaukee Brewers took advantage and then some. They kind of overperformed, right? I didn't expect this. I didn't expect sweeping the Cubs. I didn't expect an 11-game win streak. They had another large win streak at some point in that, that stretch as well. I think where they won five or six games. The Milwaukee Brewers are playing just fantastic baseball. Their only blip, which is the word of this podcast apparently, uh, is was against Cincinnati where they lost three strikes. And they have a chance to get a lot of revenge on the Reds in the next few weeks. They play the Reds for four at Miller Park starting on Thursday. And then they go back to Cincinnati right when the All-Star break ends. So they'll play them for three in Cincinnati. So they'll play seven games against the Reds. And the Reds are going to see it as an advantage to try to kind of cut into that NL Central lead. That that will be there. There, there is that opportunity window for the Cincinnati Reds. But we'll see if they're able to actually do it. But the Brewers, man, I, it's it all. It's hard to like pinpoint all of it, right? I just think everybody's playing a little bit better, and I think that Willie Adonis has been obviously a gift. And what Willie Adonis has brought to this team is an MVP-like attitude, and brought back brought an awesome, you know, brought awesome offense to the shortstop position. The Brewers really haven't had in a long time, and Adonis deserves a ton of credit for the way he's played since coming to the Brewers. And 
Also as well, um, you have Keston Hura kind of finding it again, kind of starting to feel good. You have Christian Yelich still sort of having moments. We haven't really seen the Yelich heater, but I think it's partly due to the fact no one wants to pitch to him. And so if Yelich needs to get hot, he might need to start taking some bad pitches, but I don't know if he wants to do that. Avisail Garcia had a little bit of an injury, but was fine, had a big day. Omar Narvaez should have been an all-star. He might still be because the guy has been incredible. Um, the bounce back there has been one of the better ones. I don't think baseball has a most improved player um, like the NBA or the NFL does. But to me, Omar Narvaez is one of the most improved players from last year. I, actually, they do have a comeback player of the year. I would put Omar Narvaez way up there in the comeback player of the year uh, category. Usually they give it to guys who come back from like serious arm injuries, whatever. But like Omar was so bad last year. Like there's podcasts where I am just killing him and being like, we can't bring this guy back. He's terrible. Like I roasted him last year and I'll, I'll own it. I'll eat it. But the fact of the matter is, is like the fact he's now a fringe all-star deserves some comeback of the year or comeback player of the year. Not in my opinion. And they're only going to get and Jace Peterson. We didn't even mention Jace Peterson. I was about to transition to Wong and Kane. But Jace Peterson. And Jace Peterson's like this. It's the summer of Jace, as Kurt Hogg said. Like, it's been incredible to watch Jace Peterson just sort of find his rhythm. And this journeyman has now sort of become, you know, a integral part of the Milwaukee Brewers. And I, I love it, man. I love what Jace has been doing. I love this team. I, I you know, I think it was, Gar- was it Garcia or how oh, was Woodruff said how fun these guys and it reminds him of the 18 run they had where I think they won, went on like a 11 or 12 game winning streak and just talked about how everybody's having fun and everybody likes each other. And this is a great clubhouse and you can't put a price on that. And kudos to David Stearns, Craig Council, for building this team chemistry. Because they deserve that way over. And it's be a good test against the Mets. It's one of the better teams they've played. The Mets are going to be coming off a doubleheader against the Yankees. The Mets are also going to be coming off a emotional weekend because they beat the Yankees, you know what, two, two out of three. They lost last night. Um, but that... That's going to be, there's a little bit of a hangover there tonight, potentially. So hopefully the Brewers can take advantage of that. They're facing the Grom on Tuesday. What a night in, in this Milwaukee sports world. They're going to have the Grom against the Brewers and have the uh, first game of the NBA, NBA Finals. So tonight it's Woodruff against Megal. Uh, uh, Brett Anderson comes off the DL to face the Grom. Corbin Burns against TBD for the Mets. So you have Burns and Woodruff, and then you'll finish out the All-Star with Hauser, Lauer, Peralta, Woodruff. So it doesn't look like Woodruff will play the All-Star game then. So Woodruff looks like he's going to miss the All-Star game, or can't pitch in the All-Star game, because he's pitching on Sunday. So that will mean they'll likely bring somebody else in. Who knows? Maybe that's a spot for Freddie Peralta. Uh, but yeah, the Brewers also too getting healthy. I, the Colton Wong thing has been such a weird part of this season, right? Colton Wong not really an injury guy. Uh, if you look at his years, it hasn't really been a 
been a factor for him, but unfortunately he's just really been dealing with the shit this year. Um, because, yeah, I, he's missed some games here and there, but I, I don't think it's been this bad for Colton Wong since his 2007 year where he only played in 108 games. So hopefully Wong can get himself a little healthier and hopefully he's just going to be full go all throughout the second half. And then Lorenzo Cain, I don't know where Lorenzo Cain fits in this team. And that's probably a conversation for another time. But Lorenzo Cain is going to be rehabbing and it sounds like he might not come back to like August. So I don't know where they kind of fit Lorenzo Cain into this team um, and what type of moves they're going to have to make because they're going to have to make some tough decisions with this roster. And I, I don't really know where the you know you can kind of avoid this roster maneuvering. I know they'll figure it out. I guess maybe a Miguel Sanchez or Jake Cousins is is kind of the obvious, right? And, but that takes away from your bullpen. Or maybe Ryan Weber is another guy. I guess they have a few bullpen guys that you can maneuver because this offense, I don't think any one of them should be you know sent down. Like Tyrone Taylor has done enough to be like, don't send me down again. Like, I think Tyrone Taylor, again, integral part of this team. Dan Vogelbach's on the DL, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but it's there. All these guys are showing they belong and they want to play with this team, and it's been really fun to watch. All right, last last topic before we ride out here. So we have the match tomorrow uh, with Aaron Rodgers, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, and Tom Brady. Bryson's dealing with a lot of shit. Um, he missed the cut in a tournament he dominated last year, and he fired his caddy. His caddy and him had words. They have broken up, um, so Bryson and him are not seeing each other and he was part of Bryson's you know eight wins and Bryson really struggled without him so I don't know how that affects him in an exhibition matchup but he's dealing with a lot of drama he's dealing with the whole Brooks Kepka thing so is Aaron Rodgers uh we could call this the drama boys team uh Aaron Rodgers everybody's hanging on every word Aaron Rodgers has not really said much he did not opt out um the opt-out day was the second there was none of that so Aaron Rodgers is planning to play this season uh he was training in the sand over the weekend so i would assume rogers is getting ready for the start of this season uh, whether it's with the packers or somebody else um we'll see what kind of nuggets are dropped during this this uh event i don't think there's anything that's going to be su super newsworthy i'm sure it'll be rogers just making jokes and then everybody trying to understand and decipher what those mean I'm sure Tom Brady will try to go to Mont, try to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've been here too, Aaron, you know, this, that, and the other. So I, I think you'll have a lot of that, um, but I'm not really going to be paying too much attention to it, I'll be honest. I think it's awful they're doing it on Tuesday. I get why, because of the golf schedule, but it should have been today. Like, today should have been the day. There's nothing going on. There's a Stanley Cup game, which could be the lightning sweeping the Canadiens. That, that would be it, right? Like, that's all that's that's on the sports schedule. And it's some baseball. This this day was managed poorly by everybody because we have no day baseball. Most people have off today. We have no golf, which we easily could have golf today. Like, why couldn't we have played at 4 o'clock today? Like, to me, that seemed like the ample opportunity to go play golf today. I myself would have loved to play golf today. I got to do some stuff, but it's like, and it's also 94 in, in, in Milwaukee. But I'm like, why didn't we do it today? Today would have made way more sense. So that means that tomorrow on a 
<laughs> random fucking Tuesday in July, we are going to have a Euro semifinal between Italy and Spain at 2 o'clock. 4 o'clock, we have the match. For Brewers fans, we have DeGrom against the Brewers at 6. And then we have the NBA Finals at 8. What a fucking day of sports. That's that's incredible. Should be should be a good time. Um, and as all of us kind of get back to the office, for me, it's a short week. I got the bachelor party this weekend um, here in Milwaukee, which pray for me. Um, I don't even know what how that's going to look, what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, though, and I can't wait. See all my friends. And I think we'll talk. Well, I'll have to do some bachelor party stuff. Maybe we'll do it with Mitch. He's going to be there. So we'll maybe we'll talk about it. I know I've done a lot of promising. So Mitch better be on the show tomorrow. All right. Well, take care, guys. Have yourself a good week. Uh, we'll be podcasting all week. Um, and sorry for not podcasting on the Saturday night or the 4th of July. I, A, thought, B, you know, how many do you really, how many people really want to listen? B, how many of you uh, are we just bank it till today? Um, and today's podcast wouldn't be any different than yesterday's podcast. So that's why I did it. Waited till today. I'm sorry for the delay. I know that if people were evaluating our business and said, you guys fucking didn't do anything on the blog or the podcast for two days after the finals. Yes, we didn't. But that's, you know, snow tap ink sometimes, man. We, we like to celebrate. All right, guys. We'll talk tomorrow. See you. Bye.